Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we are being warned by the talking heads and the pundits and the political puppets of an impending threat to our very existence, an Im- impending overwhelming threat to the fabric of our society. And once again, just like in the phony war on terror, in a way they're right. In the war on terror, there is a war of people who hate our freedoms, who are trying their best to get rid of the rights and freedoms that we enjoy. Of course, unlike the narrative that we're being fed, those people aren't really the bearded turban boogeymen that are held up as the paragons of terror. It's actually the actors in the CIA and the Pentagon and the other places from which real political terror stem that is the threat. But nevertheless, there is a threat. And once again, right now, we are being warned of a cybersecurity threat. Your very online information, your presence, all of that data that you keep stored somewhere in the cloud out there is under threat as we speak. And once again, there are real cybersecurity threats from real cyber warfare experts and cyber terrorists. And once again, it's not who we are being told to be afraid of. So tonight on the program, let's start breaking down some of this new cybersecurity, cyber terror paradigm, which is already set to take the place of the old war on terror paradigm that, as we were breaking down last week, is still continuing, but is more background than it is driving the agenda. What is driving the agenda more and more these days are the myriad threats to your information, your private data, that is already stored online in all sorts of various places. No matter if you're online or not, your data already is. And one of the most important places where it is being kept right now, where your vital information is stored, is in the vaults of the banks. And that's not just the physical vaults, but of course your data, your account data, all of that information stored on servers that are held by banks, which are under threat. And this is the new meme, the new idea, the new news story that's grabbing headlines right now. So uh, there's an even newer twist to this. If you've been following it for the last few weeks, there's been a denial-of-service attack threat to the big six banks in America, the ones that have been destroying the economy as we know it for the last several years. But uh, there's an even newer threat that's out this week. So let's take it from FastCompany.com, which has a headline, New Cyber Attack Threatens America's Banks. American banks are bracing for a new Trojan that will siphon victims' accounts en masse, and the team behind it are a criminal startup who offer profit-sharing to new participants. And this goes on to talk about a new underweb forum filled with Russian cyber hackers and other assorted gangsters and hoodlums who are out to get your data from the bank's uh, cyber vaults. And it's more scaremongering in a way, but it is, once again, important to draw your attention to the fact that so much of your data is sitting there online and is up for being raided by whoever can get their fingers in the door. And uh, as opposed to the nebulous, shadowy cyber hackers who are everywhere and, once again, just like in the war on terror paradigm, are found to go back to the FBI time and time again, well, so too in this paradigm, the real problem, the real threat comes not from the, the supposed boogeymen, but from the people in positions of power, real political power, who can wield that power to create cyber threats in order to get the public panicked and to ask for the government to come along. Oh, what will they do to save us? We need a new cybersecurity bill. 
And wouldn't you know it, there just happens to be one that was shelved earlier this summer, but because of all these cyber attack threats, President Obama, our commander-in-chief, the virtuous Obama-sire, might just have to come in and pass an executive order to get this cybersecurity act through, because the democratic process just isn't working. Well, let's leave it there. We'll be back to talk more about this new cybersecurity paradigm, so you can join in tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. We'll be back after this. As always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. We're live on this Monday, October 8th, 2012 edition of the broadcast, and tonight we're talking about the cybersecurity threats, both real and perceived, that are currently dominating the media conversation more and more, and I predict will continue to dominate the uh, media conversation more and more and more as we get further and further steeped into this internet-connected total information awareness age that we are increasingly living in, where all of our data, all of our information, all of our important details are being stored online on servers that you and I don't really have access to and that you and I don't really know what's happening to. So we can be told basically anything, and how would we know the difference? There could be a real cyber attack taking place right now against the big banks, and uh, there may be a real threat to your account details, and it may really be coming from hackers, or any one of those pieces of the puzzle may, in fact, not be true. How would you and I know the difference? All we will know is that one day they'll close down the accounts or they'll hold, put everything on hold and try to sort the system out, quote-unquote, and they'll come back with something newer and better and more locked down so that we will have fewer and fewer online privileges in this internet age and once again this is not blowing things out of proportion this is very much a meme that's becoming more and more evident through the headlines and just before the break we were taking a look at that new uh, headline out from fastcompany.com new cyber attack threatens american banks and this is a uh, another story on top of the already existing cyber threat that the banks are supposedly under from denial-of-service attacks from people who have access to some pretty pretty big uh, bandwidth, pretty big servers that are apparently involved in these denial-of-service attacks right now against the big banks. So let's take a look at that story. For those of you who missed it, we covered it on the last edition of New World Next Week with our good friend James Evan Pilato at newworldnextweek.com last week. But let's uh, let's flesh that story out a little bit more because, again, there's not a lot of attention being paid to it right now. And this revolves around a cyber attack that's afflicting some of the biggest banks in America right now. And, or so we're told, I mean, how do we have any independent way of verifying that? And we are also being told that this is all, all coming from the Middle East. And specifically, so far, they've apparently managed to track down the quote-unquote tools used in this attack to Saudi Arabia. 
But as uh, as they go on to admit in this article we're about to look at, well, that doesn't really mean that it's coming from Saudi Arabia. Anyway, this comes from hereisthecity.com, and they had a recent post, Plot Behind Bank Cyber Attack Thickens, Tools Found in Saudi Arabia. And it says here, security professionals investigating the cyber attacks that crippled the websites of U.S. banks last month have discovered the tools at the heart of the attacks are more complex than previously thought and have also been found in Saudi Arabia. The findings from security firm Radware suggest the attacks, which are ongoing, may be harder to stop than had been hoped. If I'm a small band of thugs and I've been using handguns and rifles, I've, I've now given electronic access to major weapon systems, said Carl Herberger, vice president of security solutions at Radware. Herberger said the company has found a variant of the malware in labs in Saudi Arabia that is a slightly different version from what's being used in the wild. It's not clear if this means the malware actually came from Saudi Arabia or just ended up there coincidentally. Whether or not it originated there is anybody's guess, Herberger said. Radware said that the discovery suggests there are more servers around the world affected by this malware and the, the attacks may not yet be over. And this story goes on to say that basically this is a unusual piece of bot malware because it's not just trying to infect individual desktops, it's actually specifically targeted at servers. And since it has infected some major data centers, that means it has some pretty big servers on its side trying to do these uh, denial-of-service attacks against some of the big banks, including Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. And because of the, well, sophistication of this malware, it's being suggested that this must have come from a more organized group than a ragtag bunch of random teenage hackers. So it goes on to say, quote, in online posts, a group calling itself the Is Adin Al-Qasim Brigades has claimed responsibility for the attacks and this week warned of new ones to come, blaming a YouTube video that mocked Islam. Once again, going back to that video, of which apparently is now the, 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 the subject of blame for everything that happens in the world. We can just blame it on that video, apparently. But it, it goes on to cast a bit of skepticism on those claims. It says, however... National security officials are reportedly skeptical about these claims, instead pointing the finger at, drumroll please, Iran's Quds Force. Yes, that's right. U.S. Senator Joseph Lieberman has also blamed Iran and publicly expressed doubt about the likelihood that the attacks were carried out by just hackers. So here we are. We're in this new breed of uh, cyber warfare, this new age of cyber terror, where cyber weapons are being fashioned by nation-state actors and are taking over data centers to take down entire websites and interfaces for banks and perhaps maybe even break into sensitive data that's being stored, your bank account data. And that's coming from all sorts of different threats, according to the mainstream media. It's coming from random self-organized groups of hackers who are now making it a criminal startup enterprise with profit sharing and all of that uh, going on. Or it's coming from... Uh, Saudi Arabia, or perhaps it's 
It's coming from this new shadowy terror group, the Iz Adin Al Qasim Brigades, that are blaming it all on the YouTube video about Muslims, or or maybe it's coming from Iran and the Quds Force. But whatever it is, it's definitely coming from somewhere out there in the Middle East or in Russia or in one of the other political enemies of the United States these days, and it's definitely targeted against you. So whatever they want to suggest as a solution to this, you should embrace with open arms according to the usual puppets and uh, pundits. And unfortunately, more of this meme can be uh, picked up on from something that's coming out of, of all places, Google. That's right. The NSA's favorite search engine is now warning of uh, even more unusual sources for these new round of cyber attacks. This comes from an op-ed in the Digital Journal under the headline, Foreign Cyber Attack Risk Rising as House and Google Sound Warnings. The House Intelligence Committee referred to cyber attacks from, quote, unusual sources just before Chinese communications firms were declared a security risk. Now Google is warning Gmail users of possibly being targeted by state-sponsored attackers. While it's not exactly unusual for Washington media to beat the paranoia drum, particularly in an election year, they're not crying wolf. Cyber attacks against U.S. government agencies and major, major corporations have been at plague proportions for some time. The Google angle is new and not likely to be very welcome among users. So here's the basic story, and it quotes from Stars and Stripes. Rogers, the House committee chair, said senators recently saw a briefing about what appears to be a new level of threat that would target networks here from an unusual, I have to be careful here, an unusual source that has some very real consequences if we're not able to deal with it. Rogers joked he couldn't be more specific about the source of the threat because he doesn't look good in orange prison garb. But he seemed to indicate it was from a nation not previously identified as a serious threat. The nation is believed, whatever that means, to be in the Middle East. No, not necessarily Iran, but as usual suspects go, it would be first. Wow, surprise, surprise. Wow, who would have, who would have guessed it? Iran is being t- fingered as the source for this new breed of cyber warfare threat that we are supposed to take the House Intelligence Committee's word for is truly here, and it's it's on the verge of of taking over your Gmail account or whatever you might be uh, connected to online. So Google is now going ahead and issuing a new round of warnings that state-sponsored terrorist attacks might be a security threat to your Gmail inbox. And there's a screenshot on this post that I'll link to in the show notes for today's episode that you can go and you can read that uh, that new warning that Google is sending out to its Gmail users, its unlucky Gmail users, about this new round of state-sponsored attacks. And again, I think they're probably right. There is a new round of state-sponsored attacks that does propose does pose a real cybersecurity threat to people out there. It's just not coming from Iran or the Middle East with a suddenly put-together cyber force, this warrior force that they've managed to assemble. It's coming from the sources that we already know are actively engaged in making and deploying cyber weapons, the likes of which have never been seen before. We'll get to more on that specifically later. But let's continue taking a walk down this path and see where it's heading. And I think you probably already know, but let's just start fleshing it out a little bit more. We have from uh, our old friend, Joe Lieberman, senator from Connecticut. He says, Obama could issue cybersecurity order in the next month. And this comes from The Hill. It says, uh, Senator Lieberman predicts that President Obama could sign an executive order on cybersecurity within the next month. 
In an interview on Sunday on Platt's Energy Week, an energy news talk show, Lieberman insisted his bill, the Cybersecurity Act, isn't dead. He said lawmakers could strike a compromise during the lame duck session, but he said the chances are less than 50-50. He said the president should sign an order to enhance protections for vulnerable computer systems, but acknowledged that the president lacks the legal authority to, to achieve all of the aspects of his bill. Lieberman's Cybersecurity Act would have empowered the Homeland Security Department to set minimum cybersecurity standards for operators of critical infrastructure, such as gas pipelines, electric grids, and banks. The measure would also have encouraged the government and the private sector to share information about cybersecurity threats. That's right, friends. That's the little thin edge of the wedge, and that's how it's implemented. Oh, it's just to allow us to share some information. Don't worry about it. We've got it all under control. And now her Obama is getting prepared to sign it into law through executive fiat decree. More on this cybersecurity threat after this. Welcome back to the program, friends. This is Corbett Report Radio on Republic Broadcasting. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, we are breaking down the cybersecurity threats, both real and imagined. And it's the imagined part of that equation that leads into the paradigm of cyber false flag terrorism. Now that not only can a 9-11 type event happen, now it can happen online. And basically, we have to be told what happened and how it happened and who did it. So in 9-11, at the very least, we had some physical evidence that we could at least turn to and talk about. But in the cyber realm, what evidence will there be? Who will have access to the actual logs of the servers afflicted? And who will be able to sort out where the attacks were coming from? Well, apparently, we'll just have to rely on the U.S. government to tell us where those attacks are coming from. And inevitably it will always source back to whoever the boogeyman of the moment is. So back a few years ago, there was a big scare about the Chinese threat. It was the PLA, the Red Army, was amassing this incredible cybersecurity force, and thus we needed to create our own cybersecurity force to counter it, a la the Cold War and the the space race and the arms race and all of that that uh, took place under the guise of that phony two-way, two-ring circus. And now it's going to be, oh, this threat from the Middle East. And now it's the Middle East that's ramping up their cybersecurity abilities. And this is the reason that we need to combat it with more government legislation, because there's no possible problem that can't be solved with more government, right? Or at least that's what the NSA director would like us to believe. So we can take this from aviationweek.com. NSA director urges passage of cybersecurity bill. Cyber attacks have breached the Pentagon and sent businesses into bankruptcy. Still, it might take a cyber disaster that causes damage on the scale of Hurricane Katrina in 2005 to get lawmakers to pass legislation aimed at shoring up the U.S.'s infrastructure. The White House has proposed an executive order to address part of the problem, but General Keith Alexander, the director of the National Security Agency and commander of U.S. Cyber Command, says that is not enough. The Pentagon has a pilot program that will help private companies work with government to help them protect their own information. (laughs) Well, that sounds great. But that program doesn't give us the ability to work with the Internet service providers and allow them to benefit the rest of the critical infrastructure and the rest of government. 
Alexander said during an October 1st panel discussion at the Woodrow Wilson Center in Washington. That's really what we need this legislation for. An executive order also would fail to address liability protections to shield companies from lawsuits over information sharing that are needed to encourage participation, says Susan Collins of Maine, the ranking Republican on the Senate Homeland Security Committee and a co-sponsor of cybersecurity legislation. I think the executive order is a mistake, Collins said. I fear that it actually could lull people into a false sense of security that we've taken care of cybersecurity. Oh, oh, what to say about an article like that? There's too much to say, but here it is. Here's the meme. Oh, well, we can just ramrod it through with executive orders, but that doesn't really protect our cronies in the private sector who are working hand-in-glove with the Pentagon to steal your information and make it available to the government. So we need some sort of deal a la the Bush illegal wiretap program that will give complete immunity to any of the companies that work with us on this. That's why we need to pass this legislation. So, again, the Congress critters are up to their old tricks. The people in infested in the alphabet soup agencies are enabling it all by creating all of this hype around these memes and ideas without providing any substance. And where is it all heading Well, I think we can all see pretty clearly where it's heading right now, and it's heading towards Iran, if you haven't guessed. But just for more on that and a good summary of that entire situation, we can take it from OccupyCorporatism.com by uh, Suzanne Posel, who we've had on this program in the past. She had a recent article, Megabanks Plan to Steal Your Money and Blame Fake Muslim Cyber Attack. So that's the plan, pretty much in a nutshell. And she goes into it in some depth here in this article. She writes, Senator and self-proclaimed Zionist Joseph Lieberman declared that it was Iran who cyber-attacked Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase in 2011 and began with more frequency this year. Lieberman, as the chairman of the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, states that the financial attack was spurned from the state-sponsored anti-Muslim, spurred from the state-sponsored anti-Muslim film circulating the Middle East thanks to CIA operatives Al-Qaeda. Lieberman explains, I don't believe these were just hackers. I believe this was done by Iran and the Quds Force, which has its own developing cyber attack capacity. And I believe it was in response to the increasingly strong economic sanctions that the United States and our European allies have put on Iranian financial institutions. Oh, tell us more of what you believe, Senator Joe. The U.S. government is planting the propaganda seed that, according to Highly classified documents provided by the Joint Chiefs of Staff's Intelligence Directorate confirm that Iranian hackers are confirming are committing cyber attacks against U.S. financial institutions. This report assures that U.S. megabanks are a valid target of the Iranian cyber army. However, the attacker used a known form that is utilized by the CIA-controlled anonymous to issue threats and brag about their successes. The timing of the newly formed digital Al-Qaeda and their expressed anger over the U.S.-produced anti-Muslim film are questionable, considering how the U.S. and Israeli government are setting the stage for a justified war with Iran. All right, I'll leave it there for now, but there's obviously a lot more to be said about this cyber false flag paradigm and how a lot of this machinery is being turned against Iran right now. In fact, that's going to be the uh, subject of my next eye-opener report for BoilingFrogsPost.com, which will be released tomorrow for those of you stateside, so stay tuned for that. But we'll go on more with this cyber false flag paradigm after these messages. Once again, if you'd like to contribute to tonight's conversation, the phone lines are wide open, 1-800-313-9443, 1-800-313-9443. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Talking about what will happen when all humans die off. Welcome back to the program, friends. James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking about cybersecurity, cyber terror, cyber false flag terror, i.e. terror that comes from the government but is, uh, well, we're supposed to believe is coming from the outside boogeyman that we are all supposed to hate. So... We are breaking down this paradigm and how it functions. Once again, if anyone is out there and would like to get in, 1-800-313-9443. But right now, let's turn to uh, the other side of this, because as I mentioned, there really are cybersecurity threats. They really are affecting people's lives, and they really are a threat to people, and people should be aware of them. And they aren't necessarily coming from Iran's Quds Force. They may, in fact, be coming from other nefarious sources in positions of authority over you and I. And there's a lot of different ways in which this can work. Let's just highlight one of them, which I think goes to really underscore the entire problem with this cyber terror paradigm. Because, again, we have to completely rely on whoever is reporting the attack to us that an attack even took place and how that attack actually took place, assuming they can even trace it themselves. And just another example of this, there's a lot of different ways you can point this out, but let's take a recent article from here in Japan in the Daily Yamiuri online at yamiuri.co.jp. And they had a recent uh, post just from today, uh, false arrests on cyber attacks trigger alarm. And apparently Japanese authorities are finally just realizing that an IP address is not the be-all and end-all of how to pinpoint where a cyber attack is coming from. So let's just read a little bit of this. It says, Takeyuki Sugiura, chief executive officer of network security company NetAgent Co., has often worried some computer users in Japan were being wrongly accused of committing crimes online. His fears have been realized. There have always been indications that some people may have been falsely accused. I feel the issue has finally come into the spotlight, Sugiura said. The computers of two men in Osaka and Mie prefectures who were arrested in separate cases on suspicion of posting mass murder and bomb threats online are believed to have been infected with a virus that enables a third party to remotely operate the infected computer. Some remotely controlled viruses can can access a computer's record and delete traces of infection, making it difficult for the owner to detect the infection and for investigating authorities to find evidence of the intrusion. Both men were eventually released when police found it highly likely that third parties had remotely used their computers to post the malicious threats. Traditional methods of cybercrime investigation have hinged on identifying a computer's owner via its internet protocol address. The potential for false conviction is rooted in the ability of malicious third parties to commandeer a computer via a remotely controlled virus, effectively framing the owner who is arrested by police based on the IP address. Well, for those of you who who might not be technologically inclined, let's break it down with a real-world example, because basically what these investigations by the authorities amount to is taking a uh, CCTV footage of a a car driving away from the scene of a crime and getting its license plate number uh, 
and then using that license plate number to identify the owner of the car and then arresting that person. No matter any of the surrounding details about that person, it's all that is is the car itself. We don't have any information on who it's who's driving it or if it was stolen and uh, it was used to perpetrate a crime. So obviously, in that case, the police have to rely on other sources of information as well to try to identify who was driving that car and the, the circumstances surrounding that. But in police investigations, it often all hinges around the IP address. So if that computer can be identified as being the one that accessed this or that file or that sent this or that message, then its owner is the one that is, quote-unquote, responsible for what happened on it. Well, finally, there are some people in positions of authority who are coming down around to the idea, oh, well, I suppose they had their, their Internet connection hijacked. This computer may not be responsible. So this is the fundamental problem of the cybersecurity paradigm. They can just say that whatever your whatever happened can be traced to your computer. And really, how does the individual fight that, especially in a world where there are all sorts of viruses and malware floating around that can literally hijack your computer from afar? It uh, makes it extremely difficult for everyone, and that doesn't mean that real problems exist online. Of course they do, but again, it's a question of how on earth you end up tracing this, and how do you throw people in jail for things that they may or may not have done, and that you may or may not be able to link to an IP address that may or may not have been hijacked. It's such an incredibly tenuous thread that I think people should be concerned about that, and especially considering that we live in an era where there is a U.S. cyber command that does have access to the most sophisticated equipment running on the very backbone of the Internet that has access and backdoors into basically every major operating system and platform. And, uh, and who knows what they're doing behind the scenes or what they're doing in the name of national security, and it's very much the case that the average person out there can be framed by people pretending to be uh, others online. So on that note, we have a caller in, so let's go to the calls. We have Frank in Pennsylvania. Frank, thanks for your call tonight. For taking my call, I see you had mentioned about Senator Lieberman, and he's pointing the finger right away at Iran and accusing them of creating these uh, cyber attacks. Now, here's a man that still stands by the statement that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, and he still insists until this day <laughs> that he had them. And uh, here's a man that also um, would, you know, put the interests of foreign nations such as Israel way ahead of our own interest, and he's willing to just willy-nilly use our military. You know, he has absolutely no credibility, and I can't believe that he's still taken serious. I can't um, believe he's still in the Senate, to tell you the truth. Well, yeah, he's going to leave soon. But, you know, um, <clears throat> if you look at Iran, I can't see anywhere where they're like the top ten software development firms actually have the technology to develop the type of software to commit these cyber attacks. There's only one country in the Middle East that has these highly educated individuals that can do that. And we all know what it is because there's no <laughs> way Iran is not on the top ten list of uh, even, you know, encrypting anything. I mean, I, I don't, you know, for the most part, uh, they, they're like a, a developing nation. They don't have the resources uh, to develop this type of high-tech technology. There's no way, and the American people are going to go for it. Well, it comes down to means, motive, and opportunity, and you're exactly right. It's Israel and their buddies in the U.S. who 
are demonstrably behind some of the cyber weapons that have already been developed, including Stuxnet, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But that's exactly right. Who has the means, motive, and opportunity to create these big cyber weapons? I don't think it's the Quds Force in Iran. I think it is the big players, exactly as you say, the people with the the technology and the development capable of doing this. And uh, when you start to break it down, it becomes absolutely evident where these attacks are really originating from. But the actual, the idea that they're throwing around is that Iran has somehow managed to harness Anonymous and some of the cyber hackers out there to get on their side. And they've created a cyber army because of this. And that's that's one of the memes they're trying to throw around right now. And uh, you're right, if the people go along with this, then I guess we have the setup for the next world war. Oh, yeah. Well, there's another war being fought. And it's um, it has absolutely nothing to do with guns or bullets or tanks or anything, and that's the war of uh, the GMO, the genetically modified food. Because um, if you look at what genetically modified food can do and how they can encrypt food today, uh, for an example, you know, like uh, the individual buying, you know, an innocent bag of Doritos or an innocent bag of corn chips. Once on that corn chip. The genetically modified corn has the encryption to actually make females sterile. And if you think about how it's done, it's done where they uh, remove certain genes and they can actually make, uh, uh, um, like, uh, females uh, actually have an allergic reaction to male sperm and treat it as though it's a foreign antibody, you know, foreign body and it was develop antibodies and they're actually self-sterilizing themselves and that's where the fight is going to become in the genetically modified food because um, if like I said with encryption if you think about encryption and you think about the geodome and you think how they can change certain things to make humans re- react a certain way as these people ingest this GMO food what will become of it and how they will be acting will come out of the laboratory from the same sinister individuals that done every other sinister thing to the human race. So I think that people need to be aware that's where the next big battle is going to be. So they're going to be in the laboratories, and it's going to be with the GMO foods and what they can do to human beings that they ingest these foods. Will they make people sterile? Will they make people lose the emotions for sadness? So you whistle while you work, James, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right place. about this. And this is part of that long-term agenda. It's not just a war on our health. It's a war on humanity itself, what it means to be a human. And if they can start tinkering around at the level of our genome and uh, you are what you eat, then what kind of monstrosities are we going to be turned into by this uh, this toxic garbage that they're pumping into the environment and which is slowly taking over the actual genome of the Earth? It's extremely, extremely worrying, and that's the long-term agenda of really converting the Earth into this monstrous creation of theirs. And uh, to what purpose? Well, ultimately to, to eradicate humanity from, from oh, the planet. I, I, right, I, exactly, James. You know, this is, this is uh, you know, you can make a, a race specific uh, food that would turn certain races completely sterile as they ingest this food and you know the encryption in the food they will know you know what what to remove in the genes and I'm not a I'm not a laboratory guy or a scientist or anything I'm just using you know how, how demonic they done the uh, the savings and loans crisis we had was was so specifically you know precipitated so well by these international bankers you know 
it, it played out so well. Well, you can go back to the Project for New American Century, Rebuilding America's Defenses, the report that was authored by Dick Cheney and others back in September 2000 that actually talked about race-specific bioweapons and how they need to make that a politically viable tool for the future. So this type of technology is very much with us, and it's already being developed and used in, in underhanded ways. So you're exactly right. There's an entire war going on behind the scenes, again, directed against all of us, um, all of us who aren't part of their little clique, and uh, we have to be aware of that. I hope people will turn to my recent podcast episode on this, The Truth About the Gene Revolution. Also, we had Anthony Gucciardi on uh, last week to talk about that from naturalsociety.com. And I'm hoping to release a GMO uh, backgrounder for GRTV on Wednesday, so people can stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for that. Frank, we're, we'll leave it there. I, I appreciate your input. Thank I you think so that much for taking my call. Very important. good, sir. Yep, no problem. Thank you. All right, absolutely. We have to keep our eye on the bigger, bigger picture here. But uh, I think another important part of the way this agenda is going to unfold in the next few years is through a series of highly uh, coordinated and highly publicized cyber attacks, which are coming from Iran. But as we know, of course, the real threat is from Israel and the U.S. and uh, their cronies. And that, again, traces back to another story that's also in the headlines today. But if you blinked, you might have missed it. Iran blocks cyber attack on its oil drilling platforms. And this is coming from Tehran via the Associated Press. Iran says it has successfully blocked a cyber attack on the computer network of its offshore drilling platforms, a semi-official news agency reported Monday. The report by ISNA quoted Mohammad Reza Galshani, IT head of Iran's state offshore oil company, as blaming Israel for having planned the attack. Iran has periodically re- reported the discovery of viruses and other malicious programs in government, nuclear, oil, and industrial networks, blaming Israel and the United States. In May, Iran shut down part of its oil facilities because of another such cyber attack. Israel has done little to deflect suspicion that it uses viruses against Israel. Uh, sorry, against Iran. Well, no doubt about that. In fact, it's it's now act- actually openly known and acknowledged that Iran and Israel, uh, sorry, Israel and the U.S. were behind the Stuxnet virus, which you may have heard of. But just in case you haven't, let's go through that because I know there are some people out there who still don't quite know about Stuxnet, what it did, and how it operated. Basically, this was a, a new type of uh, virus that was unleashed back in uh, 2010, but uh, really came to the fore in 2011, uh, when it was revealed that this this attack on the Iranian nuclear industry had been launched by Israel and the U.S. And this was something that was specifically targeting the exact software that was located in the Iranian nuclear facilities. And in fact, not just nuclear facilities in general, it was looking for specific aspects of the Iranian nuclear facilities. So this was a very highly sophisticated, targeted computer weapon that was launched by Israel and the U.S. And more on the background of how that was uncovered is from ArsTechnica.com, which ran a story in June of this year, Confirmed, U.S. and Israel created Stuxnet and lost control of it. Stuxnet was never meant to propagate in the wild. Well, if that doesn't send shivers down your spine, nothing will. So let's read a little bit of this story. It says, in 2011, the U.S. government rolled out its international strategy for cyberspace, which reminded us that interconnected networks link nations more closely, so an attack on one nation's networks may have impact far beyond its borders. An in-depth report from the New York Times confirms the truth of that statement as it finally lays bare the history and development of the Stuxnet virus and how it accidentally escaped from the Iranian nuclear facility that was its target. 
The article is adapted from journalist David Sanger's forthcoming book, Confront and Conceal, Obama's Secret Wars and Surprising Use of American Power, and it confirms that both the U.S. and Israeli governments developed and deployed Stuxnet. The goal of the worm was to break Iranian nuclear centrifuge equipment by issuing specific commands to the industrial control hardware responsible for the spin rate. By doing so, both governments hoped to set back the Iranian research program and the U.S., hoped to keep Israel from launching a preemptive military attack. Once again, Stuxnet has been in the news for a couple of years now, so I hope that you're already at least somewhat familiar with that story. But if not, I hope you'll uh, check out that link in the show notes for tonight's episode to that Ars Technica article where they talk more about Stuxnet and its origins. But in case you haven't heard, there's an even newer threat called Flame, the Flame Virus which similarly is a cyber weapon, and similarly it's just a mystery where it's come from or how it's sprung up. But uh, we have a little bit more on this from uh, from globalresearch.ca, which ran an article, Digital Warfare, Stuxnet, and Flame Viruses Could Have Three Sister Viruses. And it says two major security firms say the people behind the flame virus may have already developed three similar viruses that haven't yet been discovered in action. The claims will raise more questions about the involvement of the U.S. government in cyber warfare. Flame shared code with the Stuxnet virus, which appeared to have been developed specifically to physically damage equipment used in Iran's controversial nuclear program. That and the sheer complexity of the viruses has often prompted speculation that the U.S. was behind them. Major U.S. newspapers and news agencies have since quoted anonymous sources suggesting the viruses were part of an operation authorized at the highest level. So more incredibly sophisticated cyber weapons are being deployed, and like that Ars Technica article noted, sometimes they happen to slip out into the wild and just go go on a rampage, and pretty soon one of these cyber weapons might get unleashed, whether wittingly or unwittingly, that might have very serious consequences for all of us who are increasingly relying more and more on our Internet connections. All right, more on this and more of your calls right after these messages. Turn it on! I want my bail out money. Keep the bills coming. Sweet green cash just dripping like honey. I'm a new kind of thug with the Washington buzz. Cause dealing that face better than dealing drugs. What if this will happen when they double the money supply? A fallen dollar makes it harder for you to survive. Welcome back, Frank. Welcome back. This is Forever Report Radio, and tonight we've been talking the cybersecurity paradigm, the cyber terror threat that we're uh, apparently always under in this new, always connected, always online universe that we find ourselves living in. So once again, this is part of that matrix that is being built up around us and that we're quietly and carefully and step-by-step being ensconced in so that people can't imagine what life would be like without their iPod or iDevice or their Android or what have you, their tablet or whatever way that they keep connected 24-7. And when the the big attack happens and it brings everything down, well, that's when people will be vulnerable and will be begging for a solution from the people who provide solutions, the government. And so we, it's extremely important that we know the way in which this meme is being engineered and the way that they're trying to uh, position things to fall out in their favor when and if they decide to pull the trigger on this. So once again, the people perish for lack of knowledge, and I hope you will use the resources that I've accumulated tonight and uh, in the past also on this topic. Of course, the show notes for tonight's episode will be available there on CorbettReport.com when this uh, radio show is posted there, so keep your eye on that. 
and use these resources and these links for what they are and use your own judgment in coming to your own decisions about them. On that note, we have another caller waiting on the line. We have Lee in Wyoming. Lee, thanks for joining us tonight. Hi, James. Uh, talking about Stuxnet, I work in an industry that uses these HMI interfaces, which stands for Human Machine Interfaces, and most of the viruses that we get in, and Stuxnet in particular, comes across port 80, which is your web browser, so it doesn't matter what kind of firewall these companies have. If they have open Internet access, they're going to have the potential to be infected, and a lot of these industries that are industries, everything from electric companies to your sewage processing to your meters on your houses now, um, can be attacked through these open ports. And so we really are sitting ducks, whether it's false flag or the bad guys in Iran or whoever. Um, there's a disaster waiting to happen. Exactly right. Do you think that the underlying infrastructure has been engineered to be so vulnerable, or is it just that they're coming up with uh, cyber weapons that no one imagined before? I think they've been imagined. I think uh, I think it's one of those two-edged swords where we think we can't live without this technology, and so they're exploiting the technology. And there's real smart people out there, and they can be in governments or they can be just hackers like Kevin Mitnick was, and they can cause a lot of damage to us personally and infrastructurally. Right. So, well, that, uh, that's that's part of the point, isn't it? Because, again, it's like security in the real world. It's like the TSA or whatever. That will never provide a 100% guarantee of security. And in the same way, no cybersecurity legislation is going to provide 100% cybersecurity online. Yeah, so don't forget how to balance your checkbook and call your bank to check for your balance because uh, this stuff could really go away overnight. Absolutely right. And the more that we get used to and take for granted all this technology, the more that we're just stuck in that system and we will have to accept whatever they say. So once again, absolute self-sufficiency is where it's at. And if you're self-sufficient, there's nothing they can do to get you. So that is uh, that is the ultimate point. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, Lee. Well, thanks, James. All right, thank you for the call. And uh, once again, that's that's the point that it always comes back to, isn't it? If you're self-sufficient and if you are capable of living off the grid, then you are already one step ahead of the game. So it always has to come back to those solutions and what we can actually do. And part of that is simply getting ourselves in a position where we won't, our lives won't come to an end if everything sort of crashes overnight. Because that's the ace card they always have up their sleeve. And if we take that ace card away from them, they can't win the game. On that note, I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Looking forward to another week of broadcasts here on Corbett Report Radio, and I hope you'll be here to join me. So I will be here 23 hours from now with an all-new episode. I hope you'll be there. Until then, thank you for listening, and take care. <laughs>